Welcome to Young Fabian's Education Podcast. This week we are discussing teacher recruitment and retention after our event last week in the Houses of Parliament. With me this week, I've got Kieran Gill, Policy Research and Columnist for Schools Week, and Joe Collin, Widening Participation Officer for King's College London. Enjoy. Right, so we're back for our second podcast. Um, Woo! Yeah, things are going to get better, eh? After yep. the first one. Mm-hmm. And in the interim, we had our frankly amazing event last week in Parliament. Understatement. Yeah, with Lisa Powell MP and special guests. So, we're going to chat about teacher recruitment and retention and the crisis. So, first question then. Should we say who's around the table? Sure. Yeah. So, we've got, back for another round, we've got um, expert Kieran and psychic Joe. And then me. <laughs> I'm not having it. It's well, not okay. You know, truth hurts. I've so, got my own LinkedIn profile. Okay, in fantastic. And this is going on it. Don't add him though. <laughs> first question then. Is there a crisis? Yes. Or if there's not right now, there is soon going to be. Explain. So, um, we know the National Audit Office did uh, a report on teacher recruitment and they found that for four consecutive years, the government had missed their own targets in terms of recruiting enough um, teachers. But there's also been a lot of reforms to the way in which teachers are recruited, which we'll, we'll go into later. So we've got, we've got not necessarily enough flow into the profession, We've also got slightly raised uh, wastage, it's called, mm. in government statistics, but slightly more people uh, leaving the profession. But the biggest problem is actually a bit of a, a demographic change. Yeah, so the, the demographic issue is that um, by 2020, pupil numbers are going to go up by 800,000. And there's also um, wider economic issues, and improving economy means that... Uh, Graduates are less likely to go into the teaching profession. Um, also, about 21 years ago, for about three years, there was a lower birth rate, which means that people who were currently graduating from university, there are less of them. So, again, they can't fill the spaces. But the central issue is rising pupil numbers, which is why you're getting sort of pinch points in places with really young populations. Mm. So London, Birmingham, Leicester. Yeah. Uh, essentially, a lot of these places are places with heavily... Uh, just a lot of immigrants um, who naturally just have a younger population mm-hmm. and that's meaning that there's a real issue with pupil places. Okay. And actually at our event we had um, the expert um, from Oxford John Howson. Yeah. Absolutely. He very much says there is a crisis and Teach First themselves have said it's the worst they've seen in but, the last But what was interesting years. is John Howson said that 50% of our profession is over 40. Mm. So that's it's why scary. it's yeah, mm. it's an issue of, of things getting worse because obviously lots of teachers yeah. will retire um, in the next three decades and we're seeing rising, rising people numbers. Do you think that that is... And I said this at the time, but mm. presumably that is just a wider problem with the job market now. Well, not a problem, just yeah. the trade of the job market, and then no one does the same job for 30 years now, In whereas 20, 30 years ago they might have done. Yeah, I, That I was don't... raised, people, these want, uh, younger graduates now want portfolio careers, they mm. want to do different uh, jobs, they want to you know, change. The average, people don't stay in teaching for less than five years now. Yeah, mm. which uh, is a shame because it seems that they get on top of their game in... I think seven years was the, was the, the number quoted, wasn't it? People uh, get really good at set after seven years of teaching, and people just don't last that long. How long did you teach, Kieran? Four years. I was a teacher uh, for eighty months, and I was sick. I'm sure you were, Joe. I'm sure you were. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I mean, that, that, that wastage issue is a problem when people are trying to create a portfolio career because John Housen was saying that it's a massive um, international export education for the UK, yeah. um, which means not just are private schools homegrown um, with international students uh, coming, coming for that, that supposedly international best class education, but also our teachers as a kind of mm. UK export going to international schools across the world. And we also know that there are private schools that are setting up as satellite sites in... Singapore, Hong Kong. Yeah, we know it. We know a teacher person, don't we? Who's currently teaching in the Seychelles. Yeah, someone um, I train them teaching. Yeah, the so many, so many Caribbean. So many teachers I train with have opted to go for tax-free salaries in the Middle East or teach in the Seychelles, which is obviously a lot nicer than Warsaw. This is sounding really sad. Isn't yeah, it? it is. One thing I wanted to pick up on though is. Um, there's been a lot of headlines, a lot of emphasis, especially from the unions, about the morale crisis, about some, you know, huge numbers of teachers saying they're going to leave in the next two years. But the actual figures from the NAO suggest that although wastage is high, probably at a 10-year high, there's not that many more teachers leaving. So why is there a disparity? It's interesting, isn't it? I think th- this was covered by um, Loic Menzies, who who is the director of LKMCO, which is a think and action tank. Uh, but he's done some research into why people go into teaching, um, and he was saying that there is. He believes there is a, a morale crisis, which is because the government has been on kind of urgency pills in terms of needing to improve education, particularly for some, some of the poorer children, poorest children in the country, um, and a sense that there needs to be a, a political expediency, you know, we can't wait to fix this problem, but that that has meant that there's such a lot of change happened so rapidly that it is is affecting morale. But we were actually having a discussion before we mm. went on air on our podcast about how uh, how secure that data is. And it is difficult to say because there have been lots of headlines that have, have come from uh, teaching unions polling their members. Obviously, that's quite a small subsection of the teaching community. I think it's only something like a, a quarter of teachers who are unionised. Um, and then we were talking about you know whether you're more likely to respond to a survey if you are more peeved. Um, I, but I still think that we can't completely discount the the data they're coming up with. No, um, it, they're still so the NAS UWT they do a survey of five thousand teachers, yep, yep. and whether they're union reps or not, they're all teachers. There's five thousand of them. There's, there's decent. Well, well, them. the body, um, the key is um, an interesting organisation that supports uh, school leaders, governors, and head teachers and SLT, and they give them advice on things like government policy change etc so their membership isn't political mm. and they survey their their school leaders once a year with ipsos mori they their sample was like 1200 plus um and those school leaders 85 percent felt that teaching morale had got worse in the past five years um and only 2.3% felt it had got better. So it, it does seem like there is some basis to say that the morale is, is really challenging. But what Loic said was that he felt that we might see a light at the end of that particular tunnel in terms mm. of all of that change. And as it, as it settles, we'll see whether a lot of those people who the, the unions have said are contemplating leaving will actually leave. If they do, it'll exacerbate the crisis even further. But, but they may not. Um, we may kind of weather some of that that change storm. But I do think that the so the union figures that they come out with, and obviously they do this on purpose because they're a union, they want to make headlines. Mm-hmm. But they are pretty shocking figures. Yeah. So Ford, so they did NASUWT. This was March of this year. Mm-hmm. Did a survey of five five thousand teachers. 
14% of them said that they had undergone counselling as a result of work-related stress. 2% of them had self-harmed. That's crazy. Another point is we, we partnered deliberately with the Education Support Partnership who are a great national charity who support the welfare of education staff and they've noticed a huge uptick mm. in the number of teachers calling their, their hotline with um, serious kind of you know mental health and welfare issues. Many more um, teachers complaining about the stress so recently and then and I don't think that's something we can you know, dismiss out of No, the BBC did some really interesting... They did a really mm. great podcast uh, called Sick of School a year and a half ago now. Um, and they had spoken to an insurance company that helps schools cover the costs of, of staff who are absent. And they shared their data with them and showed a massive increase of teachers who had... Um, who were sick with work-related stress. I do think there is a lot of stress in the profession. And certainly, Joe, you were making the argument that that kind of percolates into social consciousness about yeah. what teaching is like. And that certainly is a threat to recruitment. Mm. And anecdotally as well, I think we could... I mean, you're still teaching. Mm. But I think both of us can say, going from teaching to going into professions other than teaching, mm. it is a lot less stressful. It's anecdotal, obviously. Um, but... I think even the sort of general population have yeah. an acceptance now that mm. teaching is very, very stressful. And as we said, that's damaging for recruitment. Yeah. An interesting point that um, John Halson made in the chapter he did for Policy Exchange on this issue is that there's been a cultural change in the last 15 years um, towards every child must make progress. Yeah. Yeah. And that has dramatically increased teacher workload and there hasn't been the attendant recognition from you know, government or, or even SLTs who, you know, were in the classroom much before that about how do we adapt, how do we accommodate this massive increase in workload and, yeah. and, the, and the culture of that every child in your class must make progress. Well, I mean, Michael Barber was the architect of uh, the National Literacy Strategy and, and other education initiatives under New Labour. And his mantra was high challenge, high support. So there were lots of targets. Um, and yeah, there was a big focus on differentiation, personalised learning. But the, the idea was also that schools should be proportionately supported according to the, the level of disadvantage and, and low performance in that area. Um, and also we need to invest in things like ASTs, advanced skills teachers. We had um, improvement in teacher salaries over the new Labour era. And a real biggest challenge, I think, is austerity, because we've seen things like a deregulation of how teachers are paid, introduction of performance-related pay, which some head teachers are using to keep their, their budgets in the black. They're, they're not pushing people up the pay scale at the rate that they did previously when they don't hit their targets. Yeah, um, completely. What? So you're saying now that New Labour, or everything they did was good for teachers' paying conditions, and then austerity comes along, and no, oh, that's what's ruined no, paying conditions. I'm not saying that. Did you not listen to the podcast last week, Kieran? <laughs> The podcast last week was talking about academies ruining pay conditions. Okay, look, I will, I will, okay, and that is interesting. So the white paper says that every school will become an academy, and it was academies that were the first piece of legislation that allowed schools to depart from teacher paying conditions. So it has affected teachers' paying conditions, but I think the point I was trying to make was, the mantra was high challenge, high support. No, I, I agree. And the intention I, yeah. was to match increase in standards with increase in funding and support from central government, from local government. I would argue that over, uh, since 2010, we've seen high challenge lots of changes to um, accountability and to qualifications that have really increased the rigour in the profession but much less support yeah, yeah. and a school led system where supposedly schools are supposed to be mm. improving one another and training teachers and teaching a bit on the side but with much smaller budgets 
um, the irony of the supposed school-led system and the autonomous schools, much higher accountability, but then they're, they're floating around without any support. Well, they're floating around. <laughs> <laughs> Where they're floating to, sure. You know, in the system. Um, the school-led system is an interesting point, though, because it does affect how teachers are trained, and that is leading to a big challenge in terms of recruitment and retention. Yeah, exactly, and I wanted to move on to this. So how has teacher training changed? Because there's a lot of different ways to get into teaching at the moment, is that right? Yeah, now there are loads of different ways. Actually, ASCOL, the Association for School and College Leadership, put together quite a useful um, summary of the different ways to get into teaching. But there are so many, which is part, um, potentially, of, of the problem that the NAO might have put their finger on of the government missing their recruitment targets because people who want to be teachers are just like, how How do I do it? Uh, so the, the traditional route that lots of people know about is that you do a PGCU, Postgraduate Certificate in Education, and you do that at university. And you study for a year, you go into schools, but you also spend a lot of time at university, you have two placements, and then at the end, uh, you get qualified teacher status. And you're a, you're a newly qualified teacher, you can go out searching for a job, uh, applying, applying for whichever school you want to, to go to. Um, and that's the traditional route in. And then there have been, in recent years, start, starting in the New Labour era, different routes in that, that were more school-based in the training, much less time at university. So the Graduate Teacher Programme, GTP, um, became fairly popular, and the idea that it was kind of pitched at, at career changes, and they, it would be an assessment-only route, so you wouldn't have to do essays like you do with a PGCE. Um, was that targeted at particular schools, or was that just... Any school. I don't think it was targeted at particular okay. schools, but it was it was assessment only. But they still had an HE link okay. mostly. Um, so, so they still had a link to university, where a university would also come in and say, "You're now a qualified teacher." Right, QTS at the end of that year that you've spent. So okay. still, you know, you train for a year, you have to be qualified, and an external body qualifies you. Um, and then teach first, which uh, confession we should all say we've done. Um, and we all love it. We all love it. Um, <laughs> don't, don't. I hope Brett's not listening. We really love it, Brett. If you're listening, Brett Wigdorf is our CEO. Text um, me, Brett. <laughs> right. Brett. Brett can text you. If he wants. Don't, don't text me, Brett. Um, right. Anyway. Uh, moving on. So, so post twenty ten, what's happening? Post twenty ten, what's happening is uh, GTP is replaced by Schools Direct, and the Graduate Teacher Program. You begin on a thirty percent timetable. Suddenly, Schools Direct, you you can do no more than a ninety percent timetable. So, um, Teach First is and Teach First is an eighty yeah. percent timetable. So it's gone from spending a year learning about teaching to being a teacher and getting accredited yeah. um, because because some of those routes you're a teacher from the word go should say with schools direct sometimes it ramps up so it's not the case that you're necessarily a full-time teacher mm. but the point is it's much more school centered and there's also lots of different bodies that can start to um, to train you so school centered ITT or SKIT for short um, becomes a really popular method of teacher training and actually government legislated that 50% of all new entrants to the profession will be in school centered training not at a PG and the, the reason they want to move that direction, isn't it, part of it is they just don't trust the quality of ITT and they think it's dominated by what they see as old-fashioned, uh, progressive ideas. So about they pedagogy. don't trust universities to teach PGCEs? 
Yeah. They don't, they don't trust what's being taught in universities to a large extent. They think they think it's indoctrinating young teachers in, in, uh, in I don't kind know of if that's failed what, progressive ideology. No, I think a lot of it is to try and incentivise the route into teaching more. So Teach First is salaried. Yeah. PGC isn't. Yeah. Is schools school direct? Is uh, there are salaried and non-salaried routes? Okay. Yeah, and presumably this is another method of just aiming particular programs to recruit teachers, not based on what they think is the ideal way in which to train teachers, but what they think is the best way to mm, train them. I'm not sure. I, I don't think. I think it's part of the disruptive change urgency pills they want to disrupt things they want to introduce more of a market more competition that they think will drive up quality I don't I don't think it, yeah, but I think, they, I don't think they, it's that benign but what they think will drive up quality is in inverted commas high performing graduates and how do they attract those high performing graduates they attract them with salaries they don't attract them with a year out doing a PGC well, there. I mean, there have been some some kind of critiques made. I I really like Jane Manzoni, who's a columnist in Schools Week, um, and she wrote a really interesting article where she talked about the importance of being at university and reading like historically the important theorists and really taking time to think what kind of teacher am I? And I think the thrust for her was that you create quite a docile, unthinking workforce who come in potentially not that critical about their paying conditions, potentially not that critical about their pedagogy or their profession. And she was arguing that in order to to kind of standardise when you've got an influx of school... Um, trained teachers who are, are are teachers in their first year to standardise their quality, you end up prescribing the curriculum. And she referred to some academy chains who might even go as far as to script the lessons for teachers. Mm. Now, I mean, I don't think that's that widespread, but there's certainly people are making a political critique of the move away from universities, yeah. but it is away from progressive. Mm. Um, inverted and the new controversial teaching. idea in the white paper, isn't it, that outstanding schools and outstanding academy chains potentially are going to be able to award QTS themselves without any university input whatsoever. Yeah, this is a really interesting, um, I think, very controversial change with interesting implications that not many people have picked up on. Um, and we don't know exactly what, what it's going to look like because the white paper is obviously just a draft and we won't know till the education bill comes out. Um, but it says that QTS is going to be replaced with a stronger, more challenging accreditation and that that is going to be awarded by some of the best head teachers. Right, so to clarify, it yeah. means that if you are a teacher trainee, mm. the only person who matters is the head teacher at your school and they will give you your qualification or not and there's no other body involved. Well, we don't know. We don't know because the, the white paper is still not very specific, but it could be. It looks okay. like head teachers are. And, I mean, if it was the head teacher of your school, the implications of that are quite interesting, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I think that's usually problematic. I think we all know, and then in my own experience, you train in an environment, and some schools just have toxic cultures. And you can fall out with your managers, or they can just take a disliking to you for whatever reason. And having your qualification, as well as your everyday work, completely dependent on that senior management, is just going to open it to an abuse of power, I think. Presumably as well, if we're constantly talking about teacher workload, teacher retention, mm-hmm. I know from my experience... My managers and even senior leaders in the school didn't really take that much of a vested interest mm. in the qualification that I was gaining. Yeah. A lot of the time because they didn't have the time yeah. to do it. So if you're adding that as well to SLT's workload... I think NQTs are under a lot of pressure, adversity of trainees. And I know, of, and I've experienced it, where 
schools will try and hold the qualification over your head. You know, if you don't put the work in, if you don't meet our targets, then you completely. will not qualify. Yeah, that, I mean, that's happened to loads of people, and I think that's only likely to get more widespread if it's a school on their own who are awarding QTS. So it's but interesting, we, we, really we ran a, a session at a Teach First conference yesterday and a, um, somebody who works for a university teacher training provider was saying she was worried that some head teachers would withhold QTS because then they can continue to pay someone at unqualified teacher uh, pay scale. But actually I, I was speaking to somebody else who is part of a teaching school alliance um, and she was saying exactly the opposite. She said she was worried that her head was so keen for particularly maths and physics specialists that and and we know that some head teachers are offering crazy um, mm. amounts for for beginner teachers in those subjects, like come and work for us, fifty k uh, starting salary. That she was worried that they would say, come and work for us, you'll get QTS within a few months. And rather than than yeah. kicking the QTS can, can down the road, we might get a, a situation where why would anyone do a PGCE? Why would anyone train formally to be a teacher when if they find the right head teacher, that head teacher will just say, come and work for me, and I will give you QTS. So it's just reducing the professionalism of teaching even and just the idea that it is a profession it is a trade in a sense that you need to learn and develop um potentially yeah. potentially okay so i want to move on to some specific solutions um and the idea also in the white paper 500 i think was it 500 500 new teaching schools so teaching schools yeah. are schools that are based on the idea of teaching hospitals yeah. where young teachers will train specifically accredited schools that are supposed to be outstanding good or outstanding yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah. and who are good at training new teachers what what could be the solution here how how, how do we build a model to solve some of these recruitment and retention. So Michael Wilshaw said that, that pushing loads of the teacher training towards schools actually was creating a two-tier system because some of the good and outstanding schools, they were then able to train their teachers and you have m many fewer people graduating from PGCE going, going from school to school putting in their applications, which means that if your school is not good and outstanding, well, how do you get new trainees? They, they've got a full-time job as a trainee in an, a good and outstanding school. And um, actually, Ofsted's annual report had a map which showed all these cold spots where teaching school alliances uh, didn't exist because there are these things are correlated with, with affluence, essentially. So you're more likely to be a good and outstanding school if you're in an affluent area. Um, so there's a big supply problem, and that is why the, the government have announced 500 more teaching school alliances. But presumably, so John Housen actually mentioned this yeah. in the event, where he was saying the only way in which you get round that is if you implement a sort of school board type system that the Americans have, where as a teacher you could be teaching one day, half eleven they come in and say, right, you're now going to this school, and you don't actually get any choice in where you teach. Whereas Britain's quite strange in yeah. the fact that you look in, you look on the test website, and you apply for jobs. It's a market. Through that, it's a free Mark Cameron Britain. <laughs> Neoliberalism. We spoke about this last week. Neoliberalism is the problem, it's the issue. All right, calm, calm it, Joe, calm it. Um, it. It is a market, and we allow people to move freely and to choose their jobs. But that is a challenge when you've got things like um, deregulated paying conditions and heads can offer what they what they want to, what they need to, to get the staff. You've then got schools with the most means having the most capability to offer that. Um, and, and it does mean that some areas are, are seriously disadvantaged. But But... Teaching school alliances are potentially a way forward, or networks of schools are a way forward, because there is the possibility in the future, for instance, a multi-academy trust or, or a teaching school alliance could take on um, 
trainees and then say we're going to train you in this school that is outstanding but then for your second year you're going to go to our partner school that is in special measures um, okay. and, and they could try and broker a career for a teacher where they get a really rounded experience and they put them in those kind of cold spots so that helps the school improvement as well so they train in their outstanding school yeah. they get good ideas and then they're sent out to the school that's really struggling so they circulate through the system I'd love to see that and, yeah. and, and the DfE are piloting a programme for science and maths teachers called um, Future Teaching Scholars and that works through the Teaching Schools Network and, and I think that accreditation will require them to work in different types of schools. It's a good solution. I think it's simpler than that and oh. I think it's, firstly, you need to pay teachers better. Yeah. It's simple. It, it, yeah, if you do it, great. Uh, and what about forgiving student loans? Yes. Yeah, well, as John, the thing John, is John Hassan so, mentioned. Yeah, so graduates are much more likely to respond positively to the forgiveness of student loans, even though most of them will never actually pay them back. So maybe it's immoral, um, but they well, I don't think positively. it is. I think I think what's what's immoral? You've got people in one classroom who you know paying nothing or even being paid to get more or less similar training to the person right next door who's paying nine thousand pounds a year, and it's incredibly yeah, complex it, there's, there's school direct options where you do pay where you don't pay and it doesn't really make much sense yeah, so but it, so I just it, think you could put that money somewhere else and just pay teachers more um, well Damien Parrott who was the head teacher who was on our panel and he, he uh, runs a primary school in Islington he was saying that housing costs are a massive disincentive for his um, his teachers and interestingly people think that the recruitment crisis is worse in, in rural or coastal areas where schools are most challenging actually some of the worst recruitment crises in London know, yeah. and part of that is because teachers can't afford on their salaries to buy yeah, yeah, I mean really. Tristan Hunt is actually pioneering a programme around that in, in his in constituency Stoke. in Stoke Trent yeah. about I think it's uh, contributing or paying towards the, the mortgages of uh, specifically mass teachers. Okay, so we have actually talked about ways in which we might incentivise people to stay, but we haven't talked about addressing things like the workload crisis or the morale crisis. So what, what kind of things do we think can, can deal with that? So Loic spoke about this at the event. We forget the context of wider cuts in other areas. So cuts to social services. Child and adolescent mental health. Yeah, exactly, which means that teachers are becoming a lot more than teachers mm. and are having to deal with uh, mental health issues of their students, are having to make sure that their students are coming in in clean clothes. Breakfast um, clubs, yeah, feeding yeah. them in the morning. Loic was saying that other bodies can supplement schools' work. Okay, so uh, to finish off then, give me two sentences. What do you think the reality is actually going to be like and in a perfect world, what would teacher recruitment and retention be like? Kieran. Okay, well, Sean, I'm going to take those the other way around. So in my ideal world, I think teacher training would last a lot longer than one year and it would really skill up teachers gradually to work in lots of different contexts. They'd, they'd go to different types of schools um, and they'd engage a lot more with research um, and they'd also have some time outside the curriculum, outside of the stresses of day-to-day -day teaching in order to reflect on their practice. And that would, would kind of help us recruit, really raise the, the quality of the profession, recruit people and retain them. Um, and it would transform our, our beautiful profession as we know it. Uh, but in reality? In reality, I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime soon. 
Uh, we are going to see officer reform and hopefully that will, will make um, workload a bit better. I think we'll, we're seeing an evolution of the school-led system and as local education authorities are, are kind of dead, hopefully we will see some of the good things about local education authorities and that infrastructure, that um, being able to, to use economies of scale happen in the multi-academy trusts. Um, I'd like to see more reform and more, more transparency and accountability for, for multi-academy trusts and for teaching school alliances. But using harnessing some of that to continue to train our teachers and to keep them empowered and to uh, make them, them make their, their quality of life better in terms of reducing their workload. Those are the, the, the shortest two sentences I've ever said. Yeah, thanks for asking. Lovely two sentences. Yeah. So, Joe, two sentences. Okay, then. So, firstly, in a perfect world, three things would happen. Uh, teachers would be paid more. They'd be incentivised to live in different areas through housing benefits or transport incentives. And finally, they would uh, Gideon Osborne and his cronies would start cutting other services like social services and mental health services to young people, which all they essentially do is push up um, teacher workload. And teachers could ride to work on unicorns. Exactly. But in reality... In reality, the best thing that we can do is... We didn't think about feed, reality, feed children less so that they don't grow as big so that they can all fit in the classroom. Clever. That is clever. That Genius. is clever. That's cutting edge. I should be the department. I should run the Department for Education. You should do. Okay, so if you're listening, DFE, uh, hit me up. Get me on LinkedIn. Don't add him on LinkedIn. Joe Collin, LinkedIn. Don't. It's a bad idea. Okay, so that was the end of that. And next, we're going to be talking about admissions, which is what our event was in February yeah. about admissions. So we're going to be recapping some of that event. And we're also going to be running a new event, which will be on Ofsted reform. We are. And Listen. they might not sound sexy, but they are hot stuff. You've got that to look forward to. Thank you very much. <laughs> Tune in next time. <laughs>